Hello? Hey, Rich, it's Larson. You got a minute? Sure, Larson. What's up? Well, hello there. This is Larson Hicks, and you are listening to the Got a Minute podcast uh, with me and Pastor Rich Lusk. It's uh, it's uh, Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Rich. Yeah, you too, Larson. Great to be with you. Yes, likewise. Um, I was pretty interested. Uh, you you shared uh, Yuri Brito's post on on Valentine's Day, and and uh, I reshared it uh, this morning. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's good to know a little bit about the history behind the day. And uh, there is a Christian martyr, uh, Saint Valentine, who's, who who is the the, the historical basis for uh celebrating valentine's day is found in his life and ministry so it's it's pretty cool stuff when you uh get into it he was supportive yeah, of, it's this, this is what's interesting he was supportive of marriage in a time when the culture was not uh right. and, and and particularly the emperor it was claudius at the time uh did not want men to marry because he needed lots of men to go fight his his wars his battles right and uh and and valentine saw the uh the prohibition of marriage uh that the emperor had yep. instituted as a great injustice and so he basically practiced civil disobedience and married people anyway uh, because he saw marriage as foundational to human flourishing in all kinds of ways. And I think he's exactly right about that. And here, here again, we find ourselves living in a day where there's mm. a great deal of uh, antagonism towards marriage, uh, yeah. our culture politically. We've tried to redefine marriage, which just subverts the institution, uh, harms the institution greatly in our culture. Uh, there have been all kinds of attacks on marriage from no-fault divorce yeah. to the Obergefell ruling to all kinds of other things that uh, just egalitarianism in general. Uh, and, and so you just, you've ended up in a situation where marriage is greatly denigrated. And uh, yeah. it's too bad because marriage really ought to be celebrated. Marriage is yeah. one of God's great gifts to us. And for the vast majority of the human race, people need to marry in order to really flourish and, and fulfill totally. their, their calling and their potential. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at that age, you know, I just turned 40 where, um, you know, it wasn't all that unusual to have friends, uh, that I grew up with, you know, went to high school with and stuff that were still unmarried, you know, for the, you know, in the twenties and even some of the thirties, it's like, it's not all that weird, but you turn 40 and, and you start seeing these friends of yours that are still unmarried and, and you're like, man, that's, that's, um, that's gone from like, that's kind of cool. That guy's doing his own thing to like, man, that's, that's kind of sad. I feel bad for that guy, you know? And, uh, I saw somebody post this on social media the other day that, that, uh, you know, we're not very far from a time in our future here where there are going to be a lot of people, you know, who are in their seventies who have never married, don't have any kids, you know, don't have any living family, right? Um, their parent, their parents have died. Um, and that's a pretty, that's actually a pretty terrible, sad state of affairs that I don't think, yeah. you know, certainly nobody's saying, no, nobody's glamorizing that part of single life, like the part where you die alone without anybody to care for you. Uh, right. That's, uh, right. I, I, that's like something that just, I don't know, just isn't thought about. You just think about the here and now and never think about the fact that this is going to end <laughs> at some point and it's not going to be. A, a very pleasant way to go. Yeah, it, it's easy for our culture to glamorize the single life, especially yeah. you know, given the sexual revolution. So the so the single life does not mean the celibate life. You know, for most people in the culture, sure. obviously, it's easy to glamorize that when people are in their twenties and thirties. But uh, you know, you hit forty and life's only halfway over. And right. uh, and, and if for the females, your fertility clock is yeah, it, pretty it's, much it's getting close to expiring. <laughs> And, uh, and of course, if you're a man and you haven't really grown up and taken on, you know, adult manly responsibilities, then, you know, that, you know, you're basically a 40 year old teenager at that point. And that's kind of pathetic. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, I think that, uh, there's a lot that we and our churches should be doing, I think, to encourage and support marriage, uh, and, uh, and promoting marriage and, and not just talking all the time about how hard marriage is or right. the, the downsides of family life or glamorizing the single life, which is something I've seen a lot of churches do kind of glamorize the single life. Uh, totally. supposedly of course it'd be a celibate life in this case, but still, you know, 
playing up the, 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 the gift of singleness, uh, you know, that Paul mentions in first Corinthians seven, but in a way that doesn't really get at what Paul's actually talking about and, yeah. uh, and, and does not deal with the harsh realities that are coming if, if you grow older, uh, as a single person. And there are people who that's their calling. That's their, that's their station in life. And of course the church needs to minister to them as well. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot we can do to help young people better plan out their lives. And the culture I think is sending a really bad message to, uh, to young people about what's most important that going out and having fun and then building a career. That's what's most important. In fact, I, you know, you mentioned something you saw and I don't know how much stock to put in this kind of thing, but I, I saw a survey the other day that actually said that for parents, parents actually prioritized career and monetary success for their children over and above a happy family life. And I'm like, that's Mm. just not, you know, money does not bring happiness. The things that are going to make you really happy in the long run have much more to, you're you're going to find much more fulfillment in family life and, uh, you know, being happily married and, and, uh, raising children to, uh, you know, who, who love the Lord and can carry on a legacy and all of that. And, uh, that that's really where people are going to find their happiness and their fulfillment in life. It's not going to be a career. It's not going to be in money. I mean, those yep. things are unimportant. They're just not as central sure. to their happiness. No, but I, you know, I mean, it's something we've talked about before, I'm sure. But, but to me, um, you know, I, I think about, I mean, this is something that's been kind of drilled into my head by, by a mentor of mine, uh, uh, Rod Ulps. But this idea that um, as you get older, your responsibilities are increasing. And, and also as you're getting older, your energy levels are decreasing, uh, you know, and, and that those are just, that's just natural. That's just, that's just nature, right? Uh, running its course. And, uh, and, and, the question is, what happens when those two lines cross? Like where you've got more responsibility, more burden, more weight on your shoulders, then you then you have just the the physical energy to handle, right? Um, and I, I have friends, family who have incredible competence, you know, and a, and the ability to just get a lot of stuff done just by sheer will, and it's impressive. But it's kind of a strength of your youth sort of thing. And to, to, to expect that you're going to carry that forward all the way through your career is, is foolish. And and what, what, what Rod Olps talks about is you have to be investing in that earlier part of your career in your marriage, um, in that marriage relationship, you know, and having being a team, you know, being on the same page, even with your career, having a wife who really understands you and understands your yeah. career and is and is you know, I've I've told people I think of a wife as sort of like whatever your job title is your wife is number 2 to that job title like she's that's that's kind of her unofficial title she's she's supporting whatever it is your work is and so having a wife that's engaged in that stuff when you get to that point you know um is such an incredible help and encouragement um and yeah the money thing I mean it's it's so cliche, I think, to say this, and and it's one of those things where you want to like grab young people by the, not even young people, I mean, f- older people to grab them by the shoulders and shake them and just go, look, the money thing is not that big a deal, you know, like you're gonna be so much more fulfilled and happy and successful if you can focus on on figuring out what you're good at, uh, adding value in the areas that you've got the most, uh, you know, interest and skill, natural ability, et cetera, and stop chasing, you know, don't, don't get sucked into chasing, you know, financial stability or financial, uh, opportunity, uh, as, as an end in and of itself, because it's, it's, uh, it's not necessarily going to lead to the place where you're going to, again, when those lines cross, are you going to have the energy and the, you know, what's going to keep, what's going to keep you in it? You know, and that when you want to, when you're burned out and you're tired and you don't want to do it anymore, um, what's going to keep you from, from having a midlife crisis? I think to me, it's your, it's your family, it's your, it's your, it's your wife, but it's also a, some confidence, some, some actual, uh, sense that I'm, this is what God put me on this earth to do. I'm good at this. I enjoy it. I feel like I'm in the lane that God wants me to be in. Um, so anyway, that's kind of a, a rant on that whole topic. But but yeah, it's it's you know, the marriage thing. And, and I'll also say 
final point I'll make on that maybe before uh, we, we, we move on. But, but um, I think uh, your success as a young man for, for some guys, they're real driven and focused, but certainly in my case, being married really young, um, I think is the only reason I had any real career success was I, I had mouth to feed and a wife who, whose respect I wanted to command, you know? Yeah. And so going to work and not being a slacker, um, actually mattered because I, I had a, a woman, you know, who was by right. my side and I wasn't going to just go be a bum, you know? Yeah. All this, all the data shows that married men are generally more successful and that's because, the weight of responsibilities they've taken on drives them to greater productivity and, uh, and all that. So, but you know, um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things you said there, you know, Carl Truman has made the argument that we live in a society that is dominated by what he has called, uh, individual expressivism, where it's all about my own individual expression of who I am, finding myself, creating myself, Uh, finding my authentic self. And that may be completely divorced from external responsibilities have been imposed on me or external callings and roles that have been imposed upon me or even my own biology, actually, you know, like with transgenderism, not even my biology gets to tell me who I am or what I'm supposed to do. I get to define my, it's kind of the, uh, it's kind of existentialism taken to the extreme. Totally. Uh, I will, I will define my own essence uh, basically. And I, I think that that has, has uh, really shaped the way people look at marriage and family. If you go back yeah. in history, for the yeah. vast majority of people, they understood that getting married and having children, those may be things I very much desire to do, but right. however strong my desire to, 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 to do those things might be, I have a duty to do them. I have a Mm. duty to get married. I have a duty Mm. to build a family. I have a duty to contribute to a larger society or even to the kingdom of God that goes beyond myself. And it's not just about my wants or my needs or my desires. It's about this greater obligation I have. I'm I'm part of a bigger story and, and, and I've got to love that larger story and support that larger story. And, and of course, you know, in some cases that might've been, Uh, you know, tied to family or nation. I think for Christians, of course, always it's ultimately the kingdom of God. But yes, I mean, the, the, the fact that we're called to, uh, marry and our marriages are to be icons of the gospel. The fact that we're to raise, uh, children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So the kingdom of God has another generation, uh, you know, all all that is glorious. And I think that what has happened is, with individual expressivism, even creeping into the church, people have come to think of these things as entirely optional. They're sort yeah. of lifestyle choices. A spouse and children are accessories that you can kind of collect for yourself or not, depending yeah. on what you yeah. want. And of course, even if you are in a family, you, there's no strong sense of duty or obligation to anything other than yourself. And so you can always opt out of those things and walk away from yeah. your family if it's no longer fulfilling you with no fault divorce and, and just the way our society is set up now. Yeah. And, and, and so I think that that's one issue. And of course, I think the church needs to address that. And they're, they're, you know, we need to teach against that. We, need, we, need, we talked about this with Van Til before, how everything goes back to those early chapters in Genesis. Well, yes. I mean, here, everything goes back to those early chapters in Genesis. Marriage and, and procreation are um, creational ordinances that, that commission given to the human race in the beginning to be fruitful and multiply, that is a standing command. And it yeah. describes, again, God's design for the vast majority of the human race. Not to say that you won't have people who are legitimately called to uh, a life of celibate singleness. Absolutely. And if, if that's yeah. somebody's calling, they need to embrace that and go with that. But today we have a situation where you have many people who are clearly not gifted for singleness and their struggle with sexual sin indicates that whether it's with a computer or in real life, their struggle with sexual sin shows that, uh, you know, what Paul talks about in first Corinthians seven, when he says it's better to marry than to burn. I mean, that applies to them. They ought to get married, but they don't want to get married because they don't want to take on those responsibilities. And so you end up with this, this really, uh, I think disastrous situation. Um, I think also people are really afraid of marriage and family life because in a lot of cases they've seen it done done so badly and maybe, you know, they don't think their parents had a happy marriage. They, they did not, uh, you know, their growing up years were very difficult. And so they just don't want to repeat that. But what I tell people is, look, knowing how to be married happily is a skill. 
I mean, it requires certain virtues, it requires certain skills, but yeah. you, you can learn it. And just because, yeah. say, your parents or somebody else that you know well did not know how to be married does not mean there's something wrong with marriage. It just means they didn't right. know how to be happily married. But totally. if you will work on those skills and virtues and embrace what your calling is as, as a future husband or as a future wife, if you can embrace yeah. that, you can be happily married. And, totally. and marriage is a glorious thing. And I think that, you know... Um, people who are willing to embrace what scripture teaches about marriage, about uh, the, the, what the man is supposed to do in marriage, what the woman is supposed to do in marriage, more times than not are going to be very happily married. And right. uh, you know that, that, that has been the story of most people I know who have embraced God's design. So you know, if you will do that, then uh, I think you can, you can overcome a lot of those fears that, that, that young people today might yeah. have about getting married. Well, I think I think bringing up the individual expressionism and Carl Truman and and kind of existentialism, this there there's this like and this goes for careers as well. There's this kind of there's this paralyzing um, sense of uh, autonomy, you know, that that I think modern uh, people have of of I have to look deep inside myself to figure out whatever it is, who, who it is, who the perfect person is for me to marry and, and what the perfect career is for me to do. And, uh, and, and I think there's, I think one of the great losses, uh, of, of the modern era, uh, is, is the loss of, of any kind of givenness to life, you know? Um, and like you were saying, not even your gender anymore is considered something that's just given, right? I mean, you have to figure that out for yourself too. But I can tell you, I've got so many friends who over the last, you know, in their early careers are just paralyzed by the idea of, well, should I stay here or should I move somewhere? Should I take this job or should I take that job? You know, you have so many options and it's like a, it's a, it's a blessing, but it's a curse at the same time. Um, and I, I actually just yesterday I have a podcast for that, that I record for my, uh, do, do for my business. Um, and I was talking to an Indian, um, uh, Indian, uh, physician, right. And, and we're talking about, you know, how in India marriages are arranged and, uh, divorce is rare. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, you get married, you get married to the person that your parents say you should get married to. And, and then it works out. Uh, you know, uh, because it turns out your parents love you and are, are trying to find a good person for you. And then this guy was even saying, my grandparent, my grandpa told you decided that my, his kids and his grandkids would all be physicians. And so he was poor, but he worked his butt off to make sure they all went and, and made good grades, helped them study all through growing up so that they could get into medical school. They all became physicians. And then the next generation all became physicians. And, uh, and he's sitting there going, yeah, I've, 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 uh, this is sort of what I was, I was gonna do. Uh, and I've had to figure out and, you know, f uh, how to, um, find, uh, a purpose and a vision for, for the work I'm doing. Uh, but, but he has, you know, that was a work and effort that he put into it to find how do, how do I do this in a way that, that, uh, that uh, is is uh, is meaningful, right? Um, right, right. So yeah, I think I think that whole that whole thing, and and I think it brings up another conversation, and maybe we maybe uh, you'll see if you want to take the bait on this, but but I'm really I've been really fascinated by this idea of like class and nobility. Um, another thing that I feel like we've lost as a society, you know, this idea that some people are are the idea that class uh, or being nobility was mostly about obligation. It was mostly about being born with a bunch of responsibilities that, that you, um, that, that because to whom much is given much is required, you know, and, and we've just so as egalitarians, we've so rejected the whole idea of any st status difference between any, any people, um, that, uh, that we've, we've, we've come to despise, um, the idea that some people may just be, um, may come from, you know, may have inherited, uh, generationally, you know, more, more, you know, manners, customs, skills, knowledge, wisdom, experience, property, you know, I mean, all of these things. Um, and, and I think that's another thing that we, we, as the American dream for so many of us is, 
is I get to be a, a, a billionaire. I, I could potentially be a billionaire like it, like all the other billionaires out there. I could do that if I just pull myself up by my bootstraps. But the Proverbs talk about, right, the, 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 uh, a wealthy man without, without, uh, wisdom, you know, is like a, uh, a, a ring in a pig snout, right? Well, I want to go back to what you said about, uh, Indian culture, because yeah. that's kind of the other extreme, obviously, where you have yeah. arranged marriages and your career pathway yeah. is, is, you know, there, there, there's no, you know, that, that's sort of eliminated choice. And I'm not saying that that's, I mean, obviously that, that, that does, uh, you know, that, that has worked at times in history, but I don't know that that's the ideal either, but sure. I will say this as far as individual expressive, expressivism goes is that the, the whole idea that I have to create my own identity is an mm. unbearable burden. And that's what totally. people need to recognize that there are certain, uh, duties and responsibilities placed on you. The, the, the older, yeah. Uh, you know, Protestants uh, coming out of the Reformation would have called this your vocation. And it's that set of responsibilities and roles that God has assigned to you. And maybe you fit those roles and responsibilities really, really well. But maybe there, you know, maybe you have some roles and responsibilities that you have to, your roles you have to play or responsibilities you have to fill. They don't feel like a great fit, but you still need to do it anyway. Uh, You know, that, that, that whole notion that God calls us to, uh, to, um, to fulfill a certain uh, station in life and in society. That, that's something that I think, again, modern people have really lost the sense of. We think we have to create yeah. our own, we have to write our own story. Yeah. And that, you know, think yeah. about David in Psalm 139. He says, even before I was born, you had written in your book all, all the days yeah. of my life. Uh, yeah. So he had the sense that God has, has predestined his story. God's, already, God's pre-written it. Uh, God has pre-assigned him certain responsibilities. Now, you, you went in to talk about hierarchy or, or, uh, you know, today people would talk about privilege and it is yeah. most certainly true that, that, that people can be, uh, born into certain privileged stations. Uh, yeah. of course, you know, traditionally with those privileges would come certain responsibilities. So it's, it's, it's a both and, and whenever you separate privilege from responsibility or authority from responsibility, that's where you really get into trouble. Yeah. Uh, but those, yeah. so those things ought to go together, <clears throat> but yeah, we live in an egalitarian culture where we despise leadership, we despise hierarchy. Uh, we haven't escaped those things because they're inescapable mm-hmm. realities. We still have hierarchy. We still have very much of a of a class society uh, with higher and lower classes and whatnot. But uh, we 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 want to pretend as if we lived in an egalitarian world where everybody's equal, and that's just not the case. Right. Uh, so I, I I do think this is something we've lost. Uh, in our society yeah. where we had people who had a, a deep sense of duty to society as a whole. And yeah. they would they would really see their calling as serving the common good or the public welfare. Uh, today, of course, you have, you know, more like career politicians who, uh, instead of seeing it as a vocation they've been given, a position they've been given to serve the good of others, they see yeah. it generally as a way to line their own pockets. And that's typically yeah. what, what happens. So they govern yeah. much more in terms of self-interest instead of uh, the common good or corporate interest. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that, yeah. that's definitely that's definitely an issue as well. Well, I, one of the things you, you mentioned as you were talking there at the end about about um, about money and 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 about responsibility always going with um you know, with, with privilege. Uh, um, I, I, I've, I've had this theory that maybe is not fully baked yet. It's definitely not fully baked yet. I'll, I'll, I'll preface it by saying that, but, but I've, I've, I've thought a lot about how currency, you know, how, how money, um, how it's a, it's an incredible tool that we, that, that enables so much, uh, and you know, it, 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 it like, um, it's like catnip for the economy. Like it's like if you didn't have currency, everything would really grind to a halt, and it'd be really difficult to 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 do business, right? So I totally totally get it, see the necessity of it, but I also see kind of the down, one of the big downsides is that um, currency currency is is value. It's 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 um, it's it's sheer value, completely divorced from any responsibility. So you you can convert. So when you when you own a house or you own a farm or you own a business, all of those things come with responsibility. You own it. Uh, it's yours. It's property that's yours. That's that's 
appreciating and perhaps even generating income, you know, but it also comes with responsibility. You have to, you have to manage people. You have to hire and fire people. You have to pay your bills. You know, you have to do these things, right? Uh, that's not, that's not so with money. And, and when you have, and I think the temptation when you have, when you, when you have a lot of cash, when you have a lot of liquid assets in the bank account, it's just sitting there tempting you all the time. You know, it's tempting you to just indulge your, 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 uh, your vices, you know, mostly, um, and where, where property, uh, is actually doing the opposite. Property is sort of constantly reminding you of your obligations and constantly calling you out of your laziness, out of your, out of your, um, sin, sinfulness and, and to, to, to go out and exercise virtue and discipline and hard work. And so I, I kind of think there's some principle probably in there for Christians, um, I was talking about this with a friend the other day that, that I think I think the church needs to teach more on money and on and on the because it you know I think if you ask any pastor what are the top three things that that people are struggling with in their marriages it's money's going to be on that list and I think that that as as great as I think uh, what's his name uh, uh, up in uh, up in Nashville the money guy. Um, why is my brain not working? Oh, Gordon, yeah. no. Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. I was going to say Gordon Ramsey. Um, yeah. Ramsey's great, but he basically is teaching on like maybe two Bible verses. Like he's applying two verses, like get out of debt, like a gazelle, you know, and the borrower slave to the lender. Great. Got it. What's next. Right. And I think he doesn't, he doesn't look at anything else in scripture. As far as I can tell about money where, where I think you and I would agree the Old Testament is just full of teaching on property and economics and on and on business dealings. And I think there's a reason why Jewish people who love the Torah are good with money and understand how, how to how to how to how to run businesses successfully and generate, you know, acquire assets uh, and, and have it be a multi-generational thing. Where I think Christians, we just think about, you know, getting saved so you can go to heaven. And have kind of jettisoned all of the biblical teaching on money and on property and on business, and so we find ourselves starting back over with square one with 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 Ramsey, where it's like, okay, first thing you need to learn, like, don't be in a bunch of debt, like, and th- and that's where most Christians are right now, like, that's the lesson we're we're trying to learn because we've totally lost our way. But anyway, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm I ranted on a couple different things there, but this idea that current like being cash poor and property like having a lot of equity and property uh having most of your wealth tied up in property versus tied up in cash somewhere i think is an interesting uh interesting thought yeah i, I don't follow dave ramsey real close you know so i can't i yeah. can't really comment on that but i will say that again this takes us back to the early chapters of genesis where the mm-hmm. basis of all these things is found work property Wealth, yeah. all of that, it goes back to that original creation mandate in Genesis 1. God gives man the world and says, you know, rule over it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's yours. And yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's, kind of, that's the foundation for all of these things that you're talking about. So, yeah, I do think there's a great need for Christians to develop uh, wisdom about wealth and about stewardship. And, of course, that can look a yeah. lot of different ways. I mean, it doesn't have sure. to look the same for everybody. And, of course, it's going to look different in different societies, different societies lend themselves to different types of, uh, you know, ways of, of, um, of, uh, accumulating wealth over the generations and that kind of thing. But I, but I think one thing that a lot of Christians need to get over is the idea that wealth is intrinsically evil. It's not, uh, it's not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. So avoid love of money. Don't confuse the creator with the creature. Uh, learn how to be a good steward of what God has given to you. Yes, avoid debt when possible. It's not to say all debt is wrong. Not necessarily a sin to be in debt, but it, it is a form of slavery. So recognize that. Uh, and and uh, I, there's just a lot of things in Scripture about wealth, about property, about stewardship, about inheritance uh, that I think the church has largely ignored and I, I, that I think we need to recover and help families put into practice. Yep. Well, I think this brings up a, a really good uh, segue into another topic, and and that's that I think um, 
so talking about kind of wealth as cash in a bank account versus wealth as property, um, I think um, this is a very modern 21st century, you know, post-industrial revolution problem, right? Because we now have an economy that's that's moving from agrarian to industrial. You're getting a paycheck instead of like, you know, having uh, your crops produce more, you know, grain and your and your cows, you know, successfully uh, calving and, and having and growing your flocks and things like that. Um, and so you're 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 you you really are just taking home money. And, and you actually see this, you know, the evils of the Industrial Revolution. Um, you, know, you see men spending more time in bars and alcoholism becoming, a, you know, a, a bigger problem than it had been. Um, and you can read, I think it's Pope Leo IX's uh, encyclical, I think it's called Ad Rerum, uh, or he's, he's basically talking about, um, about kind of the evils of the, of, of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, Chesterton and, and Hilaire Belloc and kind of the whole distributive distributism sort of stuff. They're all kind of talking about all of these things, these problems that have happened in the economy and in, in society um, as a result or alongside the Industrial Revolution. And so I think it's it's led it's led a lot of folks, modern folks to go, maybe we need to go back. You know, maybe we just need to go back to the farm. You know, maybe that's the solution. If I just go back to the farm, go back to an agrarian lifestyle, that'll that'll put me in a place where, you know, where I can recover, you know, this connection to the land and, and my family can work together and and we can have the virtue, you know, have the, the property that sort of demands a kind of virtue and diligence. And, and, and so you've got this huge resurgence. We're seeing it, I see it in my community of people going, hey, I'm going to go, you know, after three or four generations of like city life and suburbia, we're gonna we're gonna move outside the city. We're gonna buy a little homestead farm, and we're gonna learn how to like raise cows. And I see it, and and uh, and I completely understand it. Uh, I think the Benedict Option and some of that stuff has also kind of fueled some of this. Um, but I question whether it's it's wise. I question whether it's it's um, good stewardship of the the story that you know of the the place and time and story that God's put you in or if it's or if it's a kind of rejection of the blessings and the gifts and the calling that you've received um, and, and and almost a, a a kind of virtue signaling or, or kind of larping almost you know ha- have you thought about that at all yeah, I mean, you raise a lot of interesting points. First of all, I, I, you know, go, going back to the Industrial Revolution, I would say the Industrial yeah. Revolution uh, was on the whole uh, a great thing uh, for human prosperity yeah. and flourishing. Now, it had downsides. You know, you talk about the evils sure. of the Industrial Revolution. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've read much of Alex Epstein's work or Epstein. Uh, no. you know, he is, he is um, the, the book that got a lot of acclaim when it first came out was uh, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Okay. Excellent book. Now he's written a follow-up yeah, to that that's even book. larger. Haven't read that one, but his book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, is outstanding. Yeah, it's cool. it's one of the best researched books and and really one of the best written books that I've read of that sort. Uh, but and he does a great job of doing just what the title says, providing a moral defense. Okay, not just yeah, a right. like say a free market or a uh, like a um, like a wealth-based defense of fossil right. fuels. It is a moral case for fossil fuels that the industrial right. revolution, which of course led to the, the, the fossil fuel revolution, uh, was one of the best things to ever happen to humanity because it provided abundant, cheap, and wide, you know, widely available, a widely available energy source. Yeah. And has completely revolutionized uh, human life in a good way overall. Now, again, that's not to say there aren't down, downsides, but you know, yeah. like um, one, one point that he makes, and I don't remember if this was in an interview or in in in, in the book, because I've listened to a lot of his stuff. But Epstein makes the point. He says, you know, people after the Industrial Revolution started to complain about pollution in the big cities. You know, like they go to hmm. London and you couldn't even see the the, the sun because of all the pollution. And he right. says, you know, that that pollution was the result of, you know, producing electricity that gave people light, that gave people heat, 
uh, all of that. And he says, look, uh, the reality is before the Industrial Revolution, you still had pollution, but it was inside people's homes instead of outside their homes. <laughs> you know, if you're right. trying to stay warm, you're 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 yeah. burning some kind of fuel in your house that's going. You know, right. you basically have to choose between, you know, freezing to death or polluting your you know the air that you totally. breathe in your house. So he says, you lots of people were very willing to accept that trade off and right. and deal with uh, you know some smog in the sky because it made their lives so much more comfortable. So a lot of it is that. We, we yeah. can't even imagine how hard and difficult yeah. subsistence farming and agricultural life was for the vast majority of people before the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Uh, it was good. obviously very common to uh, you know, lose uh, children in infancy or childhood, way more common. You know, infant mortality rates much higher than anything we see today. Uh, right. lifespans much, much shorter, nutrition far lower. So you just go through all of the sort of what you might call objective markers of human flourishing, and the Industrial right. Revolution made life better in many, many ways. Not to say that there weren't downsides, but even yeah. in the developing world today, when people leave their farms and go to the city to take, say, a factory job, they are doing that in search of a better life. And nobody's putting a gun to their head and saying, you have to do this. It's right. a choice they're making because they really do think it's an improvement. And in most cases, they're right. Now, again, that's not to say there aren't downsides to it. There most certainly are. Yep. You know, you mentioned alcoholism, for example. This is an interesting one. Uh, I think a lot of the alcoholism that came out of the Industrial Revolution, yeah, sure, some of that may be tied to, say, the meaningless work of being an assembly line worker or something like that that you know makes people kind of feel uh, disconnected from the things they're producing and disconnected from their work, and so they're kind of seeking solace in a bottle. I have no doubt that's part of it. And, you know, I would not want to work an assembly line job myself like, you know, many people did early in the Industrial Revolution. I get that. But at the same yeah. time, a lot of it was actually due to the fact that now people had more wealth. They had more leisure time. And yeah. unfortunately, in many cases, they did not know how to, how, to, how to spend their wealth or spend their leisure time. And so they ended up right. in bars or pubs getting drunk. But, right. but it's really interesting to me. And I think Mark Horner's made this point. If you look at the Torah, so when Israel is living, uh, you know, basically as as an agrarian people, you look at the Torah. There's very little. There are very few warnings about drunkenness. But when mm. you get to the wisdom literature, to the royal era, when now mm. uh, you know you've got Jerusalem, which has become a major cosmopolitan center, yeah. and there's there's you know Israel has a lot more wealth, and you have people who are not just working farming jobs, but now are doing other kinds of trades and whatnot and are accumulating wealth in other ways. And, uh, and so you have cities forming. Uh, now you get all these warnings about abusing alcohol. And it's right. because uh, when, when, you're, you know, when you're barely surviving uh, because you're out doing brat-breaking work on the farm all day long, you're, the temptation to get drunk is just not really there. It's just not really an opportunity to you. But right. with wealth, with more leisure time, uh, with a lot of the benefits or advantages that come from city life, oh, all of a sudden you have these new temptations as well. Now there are prostitutes. Right. Now there now That's right. now there's there's a local bar where you can get drunk. And so those are the very things that Proverbs is warning about because in part right. Proverbs is addressing how to raise a son in a royal cosmopolitan context where these things are going right. to be uh, live temptations for him. Yeah, I think that's a, I think there's a really important point to to just jump up and down on here, which is that uh, that that success, prosperity. I mean, there's that famous quote from it's Cotton Mather that you know that uh, that what was it that the diligence begat diligence prosperity, birth, prosperity, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then prosperity, and and then the you 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 have it memorized. Get lay it on us. Well, I don't remember exactly how he worded it, but something like uh, diligence beget prosperity, prosperity beget laziness, and then he says the the, the daughter devoured the mother. So basically, there's the kind of this cycle yeah. that uh, and 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 Deuteronomy talks about this. This is the very thing Moses warned the people of Israel about: is that they would be, uh, you know, you'd work hard, you'd be incredibly prosperous. Once you pro once you're very prosperous, you, the temptation to be lazy will be there. You'll become lazy, yeah. and then that will destroy your prosperity. Uh, right. and, and I think that's, it's important to see that that is a temptation that faces America because we've been, we've been the most prosperous country in the world, yeah. uh, for a couple centuries now. And 
how have we handled that prosperity? What have we done with it? Again, this goes back to, to Proverbs. If you are living in an agrarian economy and you are lazy, you basically just starve to death. Okay, so the temptation to be lazy is not a huge temptation because there's there's just almost immediate feedback. But when you live in a very prosperous society, you can be lazy for a long time, and there's sort of a safety net to catch you, and so you can get away without with with, with not That's being right. a diligent worker. That's right. And so again, That's Proverbs right. has all these warnings about the sluggard. Well, Moses didn't warn about the sluggard because. Mm-hmm. You die. Obviously, if you're a sluggard, you're going to starve to death. You know, once yeah. one, one season, and you're you know you're going to starve to death, yeah. and that's it. Uh, where right. once once you've got the much more prosperous and again cosmopolitan uh, existence that you have in Solomon's day, that becomes a real issue. And you can see the same kind of thing happening, you know, in America. The move from country to city. Yeah. Again, there are pros and cons with that, but it brings with it uh, typically greater prosperity, and then also certain temptations that come with that. Right. Well, and, 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 I, and I think that's the point, you know, is is I think we we sort of despise the inheritance that we have. Our parents, our grandparents worked uh, to get out of, off of the farm to try to provide a better life for their family. And uh, and we've inherited that life uh, and, and that life comes with new responsibilities and new temptations. And rather than uh, reading the Proverbs and learning how to deal with greater wealth and prosperity and how to how to be faithful and, and, and grow in maturity, we go, no, I just wish I could go back to the, the farm. I wish I could go back in time. I despise these blessings. I despise this responsibility. I just want a simpler, easier life. And I think that's the thing is it's it's morally lazy. Maybe that's a that's a that's a strong way to put it is you're 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 morally saying I want an easier life. You want a harder life physically. You want to work harder with your hands and everything else. That's great. But you're morally wanting a simpler life. You're wanting it to be easier and more black and white. And and I understand that temptation, but I think it's a I think it's a rejection yeah. of the inheritance that you've received. It's a flight and from I think, responsibility. Right. I mean, here, here's a here's a, a weird example, okay? But but I think it's worth thinking about. Um Never in the history of mankind have young men grown up with the temptation of pornography uh, at their fingertips 24 right, hours a day. Right. It's a terrible thing, right? We hate pornography. It's an it's a great evil. But the fact that I have teenage sons who have developed the self-control and put the right boundaries in place and learned discipline to, to resist that temptation all day, every day, I mean, that that's a... That's that's cool. I mean, that that requires yeah, yeah. a much greater degree of, of self-control than a farmer, you know, who didn't have a smartphone uh, ever had to ever had to deal with. Right. And so right. in a way, I would say my sons have have a kind of sexual discipline and self-control that uh, that is unique and, and probably greater, you know, than than generations in the past. Yeah, so I, I mean, and, and that's a really good, you know, the, the, the pornography and our technology and all that. It, it, I mean, that, that's a really good illustration of the point of how there are um, pros and cons, but obviously with greater wealth and prosperity, greater technology, which technology is really just a form of wealth, quite honestly. Yeah, uh, for sure. So with, 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 with our increase in all these things, there, there is a whole new set of temptations, but yeah. the point, but the answer to that is not to run away from those temptations back to the immaturity of what came before. It's to embrace right. the responsibility that comes with these, uh, with That's this right. maturation. Really, you could say. I mean, that that you know, we're, we have a maturation in yes. technology. Okay, well, let's learn how to handle that technology. Let's learn how to use it in the right kind of way. And the That's answer right. is not to flee. I think to flee is to escape responsibility. It's to, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's I, I think there, you know, there's a kind of romanticism in what you described yeah. about people who want to go back to kind of the simple life of the farm and that kind of thing. And of course, they're not yeah. really going back to what it was like because they tend to That's take right. their technology and their gadgets and their machines with them. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and they so, go to Walmart like five times a week. Well, yeah. And, and the reality is, I mean, you, you know, you could, you could. Uh, make a living that way, but it would be vastly inferior to what's available. It's it's far more 
cost prohibitive to grow your own groceries than it is to buy them at the store. So to do so is kind of a luxury, really, to say, well, I've got so much wealth that I don't have to go shop at the grocery store. I can, you know, I can uh, raise my own stuff. Well, okay, fine. But I mean, the reality is you'll never have the variety or the quality or the low cost that is readily available to you because of the the, the free market system we have. Now, again, we can talk about the downsides that come with uh, you know, massive farming operations. And there's always a downside. So you, I get that. Right. But to only focus on the downside, I think, is to be, as you said, yeah. Larson, it's really to lack gratitude for what God has provided yeah. for us. Uh, right. We just have amazing resources at our fingertips. Uh, to yeah. walk into a modern grocery store would have been just unthinkable a couple generations right. ago. Uh, or right. I should say maybe a couple centuries ago, really, more. But um, the, the the incredible... Uh, benefits that our, our wealth, our technology, you know, all these things have brought to us, we should be very grateful for those things. Now, we yeah. do have to be good stewards of them, and that's where we need to yeah. be careful. But I, I do yeah. think there's a kind of romanticism that drives some people to want to flee from all of this and go back to what yeah. you call the simpler life. Whether or not it's really simpler, I mean, we could debate that. Um, right. Because there, it's gonna be, there's going to be certain complications that come with it. For sure. Um, Wherever but, you uh, go, there you are. <laughs> it, it, it's certainly not a morally superior life in and of right. itself. And I right. think you described that really well. Well, and, and Rich, I, I think I think it brings up, uh, you know, I, I think speaking, you know, biblically, you know, I mean, I, I think this is, I think I've heard you describe scripture as, as you know, sort of the, the, the narrative or meta-narrative of scripture as being a story of God, um, you know, calling a people and, and moving them forward in history towards greater and greater maturity. And, yeah. and, and I think about the idea that we are going to judge angels, you know, that, right. that, 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 that there will be a day in the future where I Larson will be standing in judgment over angels, uh, these eternal, you know, beings, um, uh, how, how in the world am I going to be prepared, you know, to do that, uh, well, well, it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of growing up and a lot of maturity, right. a lot of experience, right. um, and and so it seems like the if you talk about city life versus country life or farm life versus city life, um, it seems like there's a progression there too scripturally. Like when you look at Revelation, it's it's no longer a garden, uh, you know, a kind of kind of completely un, untouched garden it's it seems to be that it's more of a city and that that's actually the trajectory uh of of uh of scripture would you would you agree with that yeah absolutely yeah so so a couple things there that you hit on that are they're really really good you know one is the bible's maturation theme and i think you see this in galatians 3 and 4 you see it in ephesians 4 it's really all over the place uh the whole point of history is that God is maturing humanity into a fit and faithful bride for his son. Mm -hmm. And Mm so history is really going somewhere and we are moving to ever greater maturation. Now it's in fits and starts. Uh, you know, it's just like raising your kids. I mean, they don't mature all at once and, and there's, you know, there's sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back kind of thing. And certainly it's that way with the human race as well at a corporate level, but think of humanity as a kind of corporate person because scripture does this. Think of humanity right. as a kind of corporate person, or the or the people of God as a kind of corporate person, and that person uh, is growing up to maturity, uh, and that's the goal of, of of the human race is for us to grow into maturity. And so we, we we can't grow to maturity if we're constantly trying to flee back to what our childhood was like. We have to embrace, yeah. and then and, and and then adapt and learn how to be faithful stewards of whatever comes next. So right. yeah, people 200 years ago didn't have to figure out how to navigate the challenges of internet pornography. We do. That's that's part of it. That's part of being yep. more mature. Uh, and I think to flee that is really to not want to take on the responsibilities of growing in wisdom. So, that, so that's one thing. We need to be willing to grow mm-hmm. in wisdom. We're not escapists. The Christian faith is not an escapist religion. We're not seeking to escape the world or escape dominion. We're seeking to uh, take dominion and exercise dominion faithfully in God's world with wisdom. Uh, so that means we've got to grow up. So that's one thing. The other thing is the whole overall trajectory of the Bible, yes, it is from garden to city. Like if you look at Genesis, it starts in a garden. You look at the end of Revelation. Now you're in the New Jerusalem. But I like to point out it's actually a garden city at the end. Yeah. 
uh, because yeah. the picture you have, which I think it's really a picture of, you could say, the new creation or the people of God uh, that you have in Revelation 21 and 22, this picture of the new Jerusalem, this, this imagery that's used, uh, it, is, it is imagery that really describes not just a city, but a garden city, as if the best features mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. country life or rural life and the best features of city life or cosmopolitan life have all been incorporated yeah. into the church. Yeah. And and I think that's you know if if we sat down with uh, you know a bunch of our friends and we talked about what you know what do you prefer the city or the country you know city mouse country mouse what's your preference um, yeah. town or country you know um, in a way you know it it probably come out about even in terms of what people you know how people describe the pros and cons of each and I think that's fine mm-hmm. there, there are pros and cons to each way of life uh, there 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 are benefits that come with living in a big city. I mean, I remember Jim Jordan making the point that, you know, you only have symphonies in larger cities. Mm, if you live out, you know, in a, in a farming community, there's not going to be a symphony. So you're, you're going to miss right. out. Your life's not going to be enriched by that kind of really high quality, glorious, beautiful music. Um, yeah. You know, on the other hand, if you live in a city, there are certain aspects of, uh, of life, working with your hands and uh, just dealing with, you know, with, with, with things that you do in a more rural environment and even some of the beauty, natural beauty that you get to experience there that you won't get to, uh, have in the city. So, you know, again, there, there, there are pros and cons each way, but I think the fact that the final destination for God's people is described as a garden city, uh, a garden of Eden that is, that is morphed into this new Jerusalem. I think that tells us, there's a very real sense in which the church ought to combine the best features of both city life and rural life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. No, that's good. I think that's right. I think that's definitely right. And I think it's, you know, I, I do think at some point, you know, it's, 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 um, it's, it's not good to try to completely pit the two against each other. Um, but, but I do think I, I, I certainly encounter people who are trying to make uh, to trying to make some sort of biblical argument that that well it's it's all about the garden and that's really where we're supposed to be we're supposed to be connected with nature and and uh, and out uh, you know outside of the city the city is really an evil kind of a necessary evil um, and I think about you know what why did Jesus come why did the Messiah come at the time and the place that he came to well you know he he didn't come to a, to a bunch of farmers in the country, you know, he, he right. came, right. It, you know, when, when Rome was occupying, uh, you know, you had Roman roads and you had all this stuff going on, you know, some, some great civilizations, kind of first great civilizations in some ways. Um, I just thought of another example or another illustration maybe for the moral kind of argument, uh, to go out back to the city. It's kind of like, it may be kind of like the gun control argument, you know, that, 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 um, well, we would just have fewer deaths, uh, fewer suicides and fewer homicides if we just got rid of guns. And it's like, uh, yeah, may, maybe there's some sort of way to make that case if you were able to completely get rid of them. But, but I think most, most conservatives have done the, you know, have, have, have thought through that enough to go, you know, people are going to kill people if they want to kill people, you know? And, yeah. Or they can do it with a rock if they want. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's the same thing to, to, to say that we should reject all guns is again saying we don't have the wisdom to handle this blessing. Right. Okay, That's right. Maturity. What we should do is right. say, okay, guns are really powerful. Uh, guns are dangerous, but guns are also good. We can do a lot of good things with guns. And so let's learn how to use this technology, this gift rightly. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really yeah. the point. So, yeah. I, and, and look, I mean, if, if, if people today want to do homesteading or whatnot, I, I have nothing against that. I think that's wonderful. Sure. There are a lot of things about that that are very attractive to me. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, being able to walk out in your backyard and get your own eggs. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, there, there's a lot of things yeah. about that that are great, I, I think. And so if people can do that, wonderful. But I, yeah. I would agree with you, you know, what you said, Larson. It's not, there's not a moral obligation to this. Uh, I actually think the best cities, and I think in in the future, as cities are more and more Christianized, as I anticipate yeah. they will be, uh, you'll yeah. actually find more and more garden features incorporated into city life. Okay, I mean the best yeah. cities even have that to some degree with their parks and whatnot. So you get to enjoy sure. some natural beauty even in the context of the city. So uh, there's a lot yeah. of things there that uh, 
that I think are great. And then also the fact that in the city, you just benefit much more from the division of labor and the specialization of labor. And again, there are yeah. downsides to specialization. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, that, that can be taken to extremes that are unhealthy. We all need to be striving to be generalists, you know, right. in a certain sense right. too. But uh, there's no question that we benefit from specialization in all kinds of fields, whether it's right. car repair or medicine or home building or what have you. There are certain ways in which we greatly right. benefit or, you know, anything artistic, obviously, we benefit from specialization. It's impossible mm -hmm. to be good at everything. And, and mm -hmm. so we need each other. And sometimes I think there's this desire to be independent and to not be dependent on anybody else. And that's kind of what drives this. I'm going to, I'm going to get off the grid and yeah. just go be self. Yeah. Well, no, you God doesn't yeah. want you to be self-sufficient. God did not design right. uh, individuals to be self-sufficient or even, you know, right. uh, nuclear families to be self-sufficient. Yeah, that's right. uh, and, 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 you know, and, and the church, if nothing else, the church shows us that, that we, you know, yeah. we have uh, a need for relationships that go outside of our own uh, immediate family circle. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the 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 kind of anti-fragile sort of argument, um, I, I think, is I, I think is ill uh, conceived, I, I, I think. Um, the, the most anti-fragile you can be is is the most to, to it's to have the largest social network you know it's to have it's to have the the most connections to the most people who um who ha who would give you optionality you know if, if if the crap hit the fan how many people do you know who are business owners or 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 people who have different you know uh uh, ways of generating income that you can go work for or be, or, or be connected to. Right. It's, it's, so if, if you are out there as an atomic, you know, as, as a autonomous and, and homestead, you know, um, that your point that for one, don't deceive yourself at how dependent you are, even when you're out there on right, your right. five acre hobby farm, you know, how often are you going to the store and, and uh, and actually completely dependent on the electrical grid and everything else. So that's one that's one aspect. But but the other is yeah. I, I, I think even if you were completely autonomous um, and self sustaining, I don't view that as more anti fragile. And in fact, you know, scripturally, I mean, just in the old in the old world, like you still needed to covenant with your your neighbors uh, for just self protect, like for protection. You needed you needed to have connections to other groups of people to, to just ensure that you could ward off, you know, a, 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 a roving band of, of Huns or, 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 you know, bandits or whatever, you know, well, so you still, yeah, that's right. And even to bring, yeah, even to bring in a crop, you know, in, again, in the old world without, without com, you know, without fossil fuels, you actually needed a, like there was no way to bring in a crop without getting a bunch of people to come help you. Um, right. So anyway, it was a communal endeavor. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So, uh, and, and I've seen this um, play out spiritually too, where people, I mean, sometimes that same mentality that says, I want to live off the grid and be self-sufficient and independent. They take that same approach spiritually. And so, Oh, we'll, uh, we'll home church. Uh, yeah. and we'll just do our own thing, you know, spiritually. And I, you know, one of my first questions with people like that is, okay, well, where are you going to get your Bible? Yeah. Because you're actually yeah, yeah. dependent on previous generations of Christians who have preserved yeah. the Bible, who've translated the Bible, who have published the Bible. Uh, yeah. the whole idea that you're going to just do this all yourself, it's just ridiculous. You can't, it's just absolutely impossible. You can't even get to square yeah. one. You don't even have a starting point. Uh, yep. Without being dependent on others, because where how do you get your Bible? God didn't drop it down on a string from heaven right into your lap. Right, it's been you know right. it doesn't come down to us that way. It's it's horizontally across the generations, not a vertical drop down, but a yep. horizontal across the generations. God preserving and propagating His Word, having it printed and published, and all that. that that's a huge corporate undertaking. Uh, yeah. so nobody's going to go do that on their own. So you're, you're always going to be dependent on people on the outside and we need to understand that's okay. Uh, we're right. all members of one body in the church and different members play different roles. And yeah. that's how it should be. That's right. 
Well, I, I think the overarching theme here uh, that, that just maybe by way of summarizing is is just this idea of of, um, of maturity. You know, the Proverbs are, you know, Christians should should embrace the Proverbs and 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 understand that the Proverbs are about a prosperous king teaching his son, the prince, how to manage prosperity and how to uh, how to navigate uh, a more you know morally uh, uh, complicated existence that comes along with greater prosperity and that those are things that we should also embrace that we should also be looking to to embrace uh, responsibility and maturity uh, be ambitious because again the great commission is is subduing the earth taking to dominion not not running from responsibility not running from um, the opportunity to, to to grow um and expand you know the yeah. kingdom um yeah. so yeah that's good that's good yeah. Beth larson that's exactly right well, thanks, Rich. Uh, I know that this ended up uh, being a little all over the place, but but I, I always enjoy uh, enjoy these kinds of conversations too. We've kind of uh, been able to do a few that were that were a little bit more unscripted, and, and a few that were 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 more scripted. And I, I like them both, so I'm I'm looking forward to uh, whatever our next conversation looks like. Uh, I've I've got about 25 different uh, ideas about things I want to talk about, but um, so, I know we've yeah. got a guest coming on here soon so that's coming up in march um may i don't know if we should uh we won't drop the name just yet maybe because you know we'll, we'll tease it out a little longer but but uh, excited about that um and uh and lots of lots of fun stuff to to, to cover so um rich it's been a it's been a been a blast sir it's been great larson looking forward to next time The God a Minute podcast is a ministry of Trinity Reformed Church in Huntsville, Alabama. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might also like The Good Life podcast, where Matt Carpenter interviews historians, philosophers, authors, and more about how their work contributes to a good life.